That depends. If you have a if you have a typical community group that meets seven to nine, I will triple your time in community. Okay, so typical schedule. Um, we got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Go that way. I'm told that's a nerd thing to do is write R for Thursday. That's what engineers do. I don't know. Um, so does no one do that here? Uh, a couple people do. Okay. Engineer, engineer yeah. <laughs> Fellow nerds, thank you. Um, okay, so typical time in community, we got a two-hour block on Tuesday, right? So seven to nine. Um, that's not a lot of time to give to God and his work. Um, but that's our typical community group right there, right? Um, so one of the things that I want us to, to think about, lowest hanging fruit, is uh, how many of you go to church on Sunday? That's a trick question. You're, you are the church. Um, how many of you go to a worship service on Sunday, right? Uh, your pastors are watching, so yes. All, we, all go, we all attend service together. Um, Acts 2, they went to the temple together. They went and they did church. How many, when you go to church... And there's some that might not do this, but how many when you go to church, you go as an individual or with your family? How many actually go with your community group? Maybe a couple? A couple do? I mean, that's one lowest hanging fruit that we have, right? Is that everyone in our community, at least most of our community group, um, are going to be going to a worship service on Sunday. And what we can do is instead of like, um, do you all have one service or multiple services? Some have multiple. Um, um, what we can do on, on Sundays, we can say, hey, you know what? We're going to pick the 10 o'clock service, the AM service. And as a community, we're going to go, um, we're going we're to check off one of these things we see in Acts 2. We're going to go to temple together. Um, and what we do when we go to temple together is that we worship together. Instead of just worshiping as an individual, we actually, like, I know we, we feel like, well, wait a minute, we're, aren't we all worshiping together? We are. As a, as a whole big church, but we can also, as a community group, like we can actually sit and worship together. Wouldn't that be pretty cool? Um, on Sunday service, we take communion. What do we encourage to do before we take communion? If we've sinned against someone, what do we encourage to do? Go make it right, right? We need to go make it right before you take communion. Who are you gonna, who are you gonna sin against most likely? People closest to you, your family, and then people you're in community with. When we go to service on our own, we go to a Sunday service on our own, and we don't go with our community, and we've sinned against someone, and we don't even have the opportunity to do that. But if we actually went to service together, and it's like, you know what? Jim's right there. Holy Spirit puts it on my heart. Man, I, I sinned against Jim this week. I need to talk to him before I take communion. I can actually do that. Wouldn't that be awesome? That'd be pretty cool. And when we do that, we can we can pray together. We can come together before the service. Like uh, sometimes, what what uh, I like to do with our community is like, hey, we can come in 15 minutes early, put the kids um, in their class, and then like we can just sit together and just pray for a week. Right? Just pray for the service, pray for a week, see how people are doing. We we got together Tuesday, and maybe there's something that we can follow up on um, at the Sunday service. You guys, you guys see that? That doubled our time in community. Didn't cost us anything. 
You think you could take that low-hanging fruit? You think you could add that to your rhythm of your community group? Is that pretty easy? Um, so I doubled it. The tripling is always a little bit more difficult. Um, as I was doing research for uh, for the book, one of the things I came across was um, was that they said and uh, they said that the average American eats out. I think it was four times. Someone who read the book and I'm getting that wrong. Let me know. But um, I think they said the average American eats out four times a week. Do you guys believe that? That's great. This is the first place that people ever. Everyone's always like, "No, that's not true." And then afterwards, after the seminar's over, they go to Denny's and they're like, that was so, that was so not true. <laughs> As they're eating out. Um, so for most of us, we do that. We eat out a couple times a week, right? And like we take the family out. And so maybe that's, um, oh, I put this on Saturday. That's why that was so confusing. So Sunday, we're going to go to church. We're going to go to service, Sunday service, right? Our community groups here. Um, so most of us on Friday or Saturday uh, is, a, is a time that we build in the rhythm of our family. Like, hey, we're going to go out. We're going to give mom a break. We're going to go and, and uh, um, I don't know, where do we go out to eat? Waffle House? Is that where we hit it? Yeah, yeah hit the Waffle House. <laughs> that, that's how you divide a crowd right there, the old Waffle House. Um, go to Crazy Fish. Someone wants to go to Crazy Fish. So we're going to go to Crazy Fish. So um, Crazy Fish local? Is that like a local joint? Okay. What really important to this is that if I say, hey, you know, Friday, what we're going to do is we're going to go to Crazy Fish. Um, and that's a rhythm that I have with my family. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to invite my community and just say, hey, you know what? What if we just had a standing reservation at Crazy Fish on Friday night? And if, you, if you're available, you can totally come. Uh, and that's, where we're, that's, just, that's our hangout. You know, that's our cheers. Are you get, are we old enough to remember Cheers? Um, you know that's the place where everybody knows our name. Like we're gonna, what we're gonna do is we're gonna establish a place where where we can go hang out. You guys see that? And it doesn't take anything out of my schedule because we go out to we go out to eat on Friday night anyway. So I, I already built that into my schedule that that's what we what we do as a family. And now I'm just being intentional about it and just saying, well, wait a minute. Now I can I can invite my my community group. And what's cool about this is that. When we talk about those spaces, this auto, all, automatically becomes a place of hospitality. Because I have people in my neighborhood and people that I work with that won't come here. Too intimate, right? They're not into Jesus, so they don't want to come there. But Crazy Fish has some great fish tacos, <laughs> right? Or wherever your place happens to be. That's a great place to invite new people in. So now I've actually built into the rhythm. Not only have I tripled the time that we're in community, but I've also um, built in some space that I can actually invite people into. And it hasn't cost me anything yet. Can I see that? And if we want to add to this, it might cost from there is that we might say, hey, you know, on Saturday, you know, once a month or twice a month, we're going to do a service project within the neighborhood. Or maybe that's the time on Saturday we do a participation event. Um, where it's an opportunity. You don't have to be there, but it's an opportunity for folks to be able to come and 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 live life together. So um, early on when we started making these changes in the way that we do community at Mars Hill, um, I had a guy, his name is Darren, um, and Darren was, Darren's like super faithful, great guy, guy that, you know, you want on your team, but he was not a dynamic leader. 
And so, you know, when we have leaders that lead community groups, you've got some that are just outgoing and dynamic and, like, they draw a crowd wherever they go. And, you know, um, whether for good or bad, like, people are going to be in that community group because of the the leader's dynamic. And Darren was not that kind of guy. He was... He was steady and faithful, and he came to me and he said, man, my group is, like, when you talk about um, groups that are sucking the life out of you, like, that's what this group is. Like, it is just, it is, it's just painful and awkward, and we do the awkward circle, and, like, I don't know how to fix it. And so I said, well, why don't you try, why don't you try just a new rhythm? Try this rhythm. Um, and he's like, all right. And I tell you that he's not that dynamic, not to pick on Darren, but to say like it doesn't it doesn't take a dynamic leader to do this. Um, and Darren said, "Okay, I'm going to try it." And so they picked a uh, place on Friday nights where they would have dinner. They picked a service that they would all attend together, and they continued to do the same group that they always did on Tuesday night. Um, the next month, he came to me and he said, "Man, he's like it's depressing. My wife and I we we invite people and we go to it wasn't Crazy Fish. I can't remember what restaurant they went to." Um, and McMinimins or something. And they, like, we go there and, like, no one's showing up. Uh, we had one, one person finally came to the last one. So it's like every week we go and we just eat dinner by ourselves. Um, and I said, well, you know, somebody showed up. So why don't you keep trying? Just, just keep reminding them of the rhythm. Keep reminding them of Sunday and, and keep inviting them because we don't, you can't make them, but see what happens. And so, uh, like, it was like the fifth week or something, like, two more people showed up. And what happened was is that the people that started showing up on Friday, um, because they started to get to know each other better, then when we got to uh, Tuesday and we're studying the Bible and asking questions about each other, they knew each other better. Um, and so the intimacy and the depth of that group started to change. Um, and they were and they were worshiping together on, on Sunday, and so and and that was it was starting to change the dynamic with just a few people, and so they started. Now, instead of Darren asking people to come, um, the other two or three people that came started inviting the other folks from the community to say, no, you really should come. This is, it's actually really fun, um, and it's changing the group. And so after another month, so by the second month, um, everybody started coming to dinner, and everyone was going to Sunday service, and the, and the entire climate of the community group changed. And what happened was, um, and I know that this is, uh, it's great for a book, um, and it's extraordinary, and I don't expect this to happen in every community group, but within, uh, within three months, they saw six conversions in their community group. Six people came to Christ in three months. And the difference was, is that the experience of the community group changed. And the reason that most of us don't invite anyone to our community groups, like, have, do you ask people to invite, do you ask people to invite other people to your community group? Do you do that? Do you know why they don't? They're probably embarrassed. Like, if we're just frankly honest, like, most of the time people are embarrassed to invite people. Because, like, man, there's that awkward circle. And I don't feel comfortable. How are they going to feel? I don't want to invite my boss to this. <laughs> probably fire me, right? <laughs> and so, it could be that bad. Um, but what happened is as they started living life together and they started building the rhythms, that their experience changed. The way that they loved one another. And like they started experiencing the gospel. They started experiencing the way that we're supposed to love one another. And so instead of it being something they're embarrassed about, they're like, I want other people to experience this. 
I want other people to experience the love that I feel right now. So they started inviting their neighbors. They started inviting their friends. So a place that used to be they were embarrassed to in, in, in invite people to, they started inviting people in droves. You know, it's like anyone. Yeah, man, you got to come to this. Like, like it's changing our lives. And it's like all that changed was their intentionality, right? They stopped, they stopped thinking about community as this is about me. And they started thinking about what does it look like to have a community that's about Jesus? That, that I can make these sacrifices because this is a gift that God gave us. And they started enjoying the gift that God gave them and it changed everything in their group. And I think that's what we all want, right? Like we want to see not only our own lives change, but man, could, could we actually be a part of what God is doing? That'd be awesome. So can you guys think of other ways that you could change up your rhythm? How else could you change it up? Yeah. Yeah. I mean like how many guys how many guys do something like like you golf regularly, you play basketball in the mornings before work. Can you guys do that? Anyone do that? Like you're just intentional about that. Like hey, we're like we're going to find a gym, we're going to set it up and we're going to invite not only our community group, but uh other, you know, other folks from our neighborhood or the people that we work with and just make that a regular rhythm. Start a golf league. Start a knitting club. Start a book club as a part of your regular rhythm. Things that you might already be doing, but you just haven't connected them with your community. Right? Yeah. This is, I mean, that assumes, though, that everybody in your community plays golf. Um, what, what you want to do is say, okay, who do we have in our community? And who do we, and, and like if we said, let's start a golf club, but no one in this neighborhood plays golf, that's probably not the right thing for our community to do, right? But if we said, you know, hey, that would be something that, you know, every, like the guys and the gals in our group would actually like to do, and it would be, or it's something that we're already doing, we're just not doing it, um, with the church that, Maybe maybe we we could take that opportunity, right? So if um, what was the bunco? Our wine club, yeah. There you go. That's a great one, right? It's like some some folks are in in what's that? Some people are like wine, whatever. Okay, beer club, whatever you, whatever it is. Water club, if you don't drink, like I'm, I don't care. Soda club. This week, Mountain Dew. Old school. <laughs> So, um, but, but there's things that, the things that, that there might be within your community that you, you, you like to do together and that people in your neighborhood might like to do. And you say, okay, well, you know, what if we, what if we built that in a rhythm? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I 
Yeah, it's probably the one way we can redeem TV in this, right? <laughs> like, so he's saying, like, you know, some folks are into particular shows, and you can actually make that a part of your rhythm. Like, hey, we get together and we watch uh, a particular show, and that's like, it, you know, it's it's a time for fellowship. What what is interesting is that when we run out of time, you know, what are we doing with the time that we don't have? You know, maybe we are watching TV, or maybe we are pursuing hobbies. And it's either, man, we need to get rid of those or we need to redeem some of that, right? And so I'm not going to say it's all evil. I'm saying maybe you can, maybe you can, you know, people are, you know, want to watch Jack Bauer. Is he still going? No, sorry. Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a great question, right? Because I have a big family and I'm trying to, you know, I've got to figure that out as well, right? And so one of the things that, uh, there's, uh, the question was, where does family commitment, uh, come into that? And so there's a couple, two principles I want us to get on time. Um, we're kind of in, we're in like Q&A for a while now, right? Is that where we're going? So we'll just, we'll just blend into Q&A. Um, there's a couple things I want us to understand about time. Um, one is that time is not our master. Uh, a lot of us, we say Jesus is our Lord, but we actually act like time is our master. Okay? Um, we make choices. And we make commitments, and those are our choices and commitments, but we, we are not slaves to time. Um, I hear people, all, well, if I just had more time, and I have to remind them, you know, um, there were 12 disciples. Um, they didn't have any more time in the day, uh, and they were able to, to plant the church that we exist in today, right? And people are like, well, hold on. I mean, they were in an agrarian society, right? Any farmers? We asked that yesterday. Do farmers have more time? Like, get so so much free time, right? Like when, I'm sure back in the day, they just had all this free time. Like, they're not worried about food or, you know, they could just, you know, plant the church all day. Like, they didn't have any more time than we have, right? The, the, the church history that we have, like, we're always bound to the same amount of time. We're in a place where we have way more distractions, we have, we have lots of things competing for our time. And the problem isn't that we have less time. The problem is that we're succumbing to those temptations. <laughs> that we've decided, well, you know, I, I have to work this much because I have to get, you know, my bass boat. Or um, I have to, you know, watch these shows because that's what everyone's watching. Or, you know, just whatever it is. Like, we, we've, we've given ourselves to time. And what, what I want us to be able to say is, hey, you know, we can actually control some of those decisions. We don't, we don't have to. Um, we don't have to live the lifestyle we live. We don't have to work the hours we do to, to maintain that lifestyle. We choose to live that lifestyle. Got that? And that's a challenge for some people, and that's going to cause a need for repentance for some people because what, 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 is, what is sucking up our time is rarely more time with God. What's sucking up our time is generally um, things that we're chasing after that give us identity that have nothing to do with the gospel. And so we have to know that, that we are in control of our time. Um, we don't have any more or any less than anybody else. Um, when it comes to family, and that's where the original question is, is that um, we often think that family time has to be isolated, just family time. I want to tell you that, that if, you want, if you want to have an uh, a intimate life-changing moment with your kids, take them on a hospital visit, right? Like, have them watch you struggle with, I don't know what to say. And you talk to them afterwards and be like, I, 
I didn't know, I didn't know how to, I didn't know what to say, and that's why I opened my Bible because I was looking for hope, and that's what I shared with them. And have your kids see that, right? When we talk about community group, what we often do is uh, on this Tuesday because we have we don't have these other rhythms. We're always trying to cram all of this stuff in because we only have two hours to do it. And so, in that case, if that's the case, then what then what do kids become? They become a distraction. They become an obstacle, right? They become a burden. What does the Bible say? Children are they're a gift. They're a blessing, right? And so what we do is, you know, we send them over here to Pixar and we say, Pixar, teach our kids while we study the Bible. Um, if we actually took the shackles of time off and we said, you know what, we have opportunities. Um, we have an opportunity for us to, to you know, uh, on Sunday uh, to take our kids to class and actually have a moment where we can, like where the parents can sit and pray. So I could actually, I could actually do that here. And I could let my kids be a part of my community. Again, if we want to, if we want to bless our children, um, let them be a part of the conversation, even when the conversation's hard. I mean, there are times when you might say, you know, okay, maybe this isn't appropriate. So for 15 minutes, we might have the kids step out. But for the most part, you know, letting them hear us wrestle with truths of the Bible is not a bad thing, even if it's distracting. <laughs> Because they're learning, they're hearing the things that we're saying. They're 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 thinking about it. I mean, I've had my kids like um, just sitting there playing, and I'm like, man, they're not they're not listening to a thing that, that I have to say. And then after everybody leaves, they come and ask me a question. And so, what did that mean when Joe was asking about that? Like, I didn't understand that. I'm like, you're five. You're not supposed to understand that. Um, and uh, and that's 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 awesome, right? Um, when you go to pray, I mean, if you got 10 kids in your group and you say, man, it's really difficult to pray, um, watch out, right? Because all you've, all you've come, become is one of the disciples that say, you know, kids, leave Jesus alone. And Jesus rebukes them. He says, no, let them come to me. So if we're going to pray, let's let the kids come around. And they, like, they may be distracting, they may be singing songs, they may be, you know, pulling at each other, but let them be a part of what we're doing. And then what we and, and what we have to do is we say, you know, but we really want to do Bible study. But there is a point at which we'd really like to go deep and we like that. Okay, build a rhythm in. So um, one of the groups that where's my my rags not here. So one of the groups that um, we're leading recently is that we had um, we had Tuesday, and what we did is we said this is just going to be. We just know, everybody coming here knows that this is family time. We're going to eat a big meal, um, and there's going to be opportunity for us to talk and pray, but we know that all the kids are going to be involved. So just have that level of expectation. Like, you're not necessarily going to get one-on-one time where we're really go, we're all, or, or we're all going to dig in really, really deep with one another, but we are going to talk about what we're learning on Sunday. We are going to talk about the Bible, uh, but it's going to be more kind of family style, think like Thanksgiving dinner, right? Some of you, that might be a scary proposition depending on your family, but like, think how you wish Thanksgiving dinner would go. Um, and, uh, you know, think that kind of style, right? And then what we did is we said, okay, um, dads are going to take the kids home at 730. 
I think it was uh, 7. It was 7 o'clock. At 7 o'clock, all the dads take the kids home. It was at my house, so I took my kids upstairs at 7 o'clock, started getting ready for bed. And the and the women were able to stay after and just get some, like, peace and to talk through and to pray and to study the Bible. Um, and then the guys, it was actually Thursday, we got up at 6 o'clock um, before work, and we went down to a coffee shop, and we would do the same thing. So we would, um, you know, either do Bible study or we pray for one another. Um, or if someone was wrestling with something, we kind of we'd um, we'd work those things out on Thursday morning. So we had time as couples and families together. Um, there was time for individual, like deeper conversations and, and prayer. Um, we are, we already had this time carved out, so it didn't cost us anything. Um, this cost the guys some sleep, but it didn't really take away from anything else. Um, and then we kept. The rest of our rhythm the same. Does that make sense? And so to the to the question is that we've got to say, you know, there certainly there's time where you just like you need family time. Um, and so you might say, you know, this Friday we're just going to do family time and we're not going to be able to make, you know, make the crazy fish uh, that week because we just need some time together as a family. But we also know, like, this is family time. We're learning how to exist in community, Right. Um, this is family time. We're learning how to worship together. This is family time. You, you know, so so we don't always have to pull those things apart. There's a time and space for that. Yeah. yeah. Great question, right? Because when I said when I said we're not slaves to time, like, well, what about we got soccer, we got gymnastics, and we got um, you're teaching your kids when you make those choices, like what's important and what do we do. And so, you know, for our kids, like, my kids like sports. Um, and we had to sit down and say, which one do you really like? <laughs> because you could do them all, um, but that's not what our family's about. Our family isn't like, I like sports and I like watching you play sports, but we're not going to worship at the foot of soccer. I, I keep picking on soccer. I, I don't hate it. I, but like, um, but it's like, do you want to play soccer or do you want to play baseball? Because we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do one of those things, but we're not going to do soccer and baseball and hockey and lacrosse and whatever. Like, we're not going to just fill our life with recreation because we're teaching our kids that that's what life is all about. Um, I want my kids to know, like, those are perfectly fun things to build into your life as you're living out your faith and community, right? So we got to, we got to, uh, we got to think about those decisions and, and start saying, you know, why are we doing all this stuff? Yeah, I got yeah, and uh, granted, my kids right now like I've got, well, I got three of them in sports now. One of them's seven months old, so he hasn't caused me any trouble. But but those are the questions you have. <laughs> those are the questions you have to answer, right? You got to figure out like you're when we make those decisions, um, whether it's our own recreation or whether it's our kids' recreation. We got we we got to answer that question like, um, I'm making this choice. I don't have to make this choice. Because a lot of times when parents ask me that, they ask it as if, well, this is a given. They have to play soccer. And maybe they can. I'm not saying that they can't. I'm not saying it's a sin that your kids play soccer. I'm not saying it's a sin if you have them in three different sports if you want. But take responsibility. You're making that choice. No one's making you make that choice. There's no, you know, um, when, you know, when I was growing up, we had two choices. 
play soccer or you can play baseball um, in the town that I grew up in. Like when my dad was growing up, I don't, I don't doubt they had even those choices. You know, they probably had baseball. Um, now we have like everything. Like you can, what's the Harry Potter game? What's the, you can, Quidditch. Uh, you like, you can be, get your kids in Quidditch. You're like, what? I, yeah, you, there are an infinite amount of choices um, that, that you could put your kids in. you got to decide, like, do we want to do that? And if you do, just say, we're choosing to do this. Know that we're choosing to do it, not that we have to, right? Um, and there may be seasons where it's like, you know, we, um, we've decided, we do think that these are good things that we're going to do as a family, um, which means we're limiting some of our time and community, but that might be a season, right? Um, if we get to a place where those things are more attractive, then that's what you're going to choose. If our community actually becomes a place where that's actually like, why would I want to be doing these things when we see so much life transformation, you know, as we're living out the mission of God, then we're going to choose that. So it's tough. I, yeah. I told you you probably wouldn't like the answer when we got there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not just teaching your kids, you're also teaching the people in the community what's going on. I mean, there's there's also, you know, it may take more work, right? Like I might, um, so even with us right now, the only thing we're really wrestling with is baseball. Um, but we know other people on our baseball team. So what we do is we say, you know, uh, we got a Tuesday night game is, is we just say, Hey, um, can you take Oliver to the game, you know, um, and bring him back afterwards so that, so that we can keep our commitment to community. Um, and that doesn't, you know, it doesn't always conf- conflict. So it's not like we're missing every game, but every once in a while we miss a game because community is important to us. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm a human built in the image of God. And so if my conviction is because we're built in the image of God to be in community, that my need is no greater or nor less than anybody else's, right? And so my commitment is everybody needs to be in community. I mean, we all need the community of God. Um, whether that always has to be a formal community group, you know, I think that's that's on the conscience of, of your church and your pastors to decide, you know, how they do that. I think, like, for me, um, I can make excuses because I can try to make excuses uh, because it's convenient for me. But I know at the end of the day, I need to I I need this. Right. I need I need to to, to be challenged by these things. I need to make the commitments to live in community. And so that's what we do. So I think it's I think it's important um uh, for everybody, regardless if you're a janitor or if you're the preaching pastor. And there's, and I would say this is like, there's, there's freedom and conviction, uh, depending on who that person is and what they, what they need. They need community without a doubt. Um, they're not in sin if they're not living in a, in a, in a community like this, but they need to be being challenged in their identity in Christ. They need to be, um, challenge in their growth and worship of God in community and on mission. Um, and so the community has to be bringing them there. So, 
There's one in the back. Yeah, you have to, like, you can balance those things, right? Like, so, you know, there are times when I just, I want one-on-one time with each of my kids. And the other kids aren't invited and my wife's not invited. Like, I'm going to go hang out with Oliver Phineas and we're going to go, like, um, spend some time together. And there's times when it's like, you know, the whole family's going to get together. Is someone laughing at the names of my kids? <laughs> Phineas, yeah, I got a, I got a Phineas. You don't see many of those. And people ask, like ask about the story, and it's like, ah, it's not going to get better if I tell you the story. It's in the Bible. <laughs> At the end of this story, he is commended for his zealousness for the for the glory of God. So um, he does throw a spear through a couple people. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, so so you can balance those things, right? Like like you you're like if you're a father, like you're the head of your family, and you've got to say, okay, what's healthy for my family. Um, but not assume that healthiness always means that it's just us, right? Is that saying, you know, there is health in, in teaching my kids to be a part of a community. Um, I mean, it's funny, like, I'm sure it's a problem outside of the U.S., but it, it's a very American problem. Like, if you go, like, I've been to Europe and I've gone to Italy, and, like, you go out at night, and the kids, I'm like, why aren't you watching your kids? And it's like, well, because we know everybody here. Like, everybody knows our kids. Everybody's watching our kids. Um, we we just, this is how we do life. And I'm just like, man, like, we don't do that very well. We certainly don't do that very well in the cities. Um, might do a little bit better in the rural areas. but um, so, so it's thinking through those things. How do we teach our kids to not continue into that isolation and individuals? How do we teach them to be a part of a community and be part of it well? Knowing that there are times when it's like, hey, we're just going to be family today. I mean, you've got a lot, like, there's a lot of gaps in that right there, right? Even with all of those things, we're talking, what, two, four, eight hours out of a week with that rhythm. Like, there's a lot more hours. Good work. Yeah. Uh, personally? Oh, as a church. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you've got to watch your calendar because what you're doing, like every time you add more events, you're just competing, right? And so um, you, you've got to you've got to think through what. You know, when we, I told you that, that picture of disciple and we asked the question, are we making disciples? Um, that helped us think through, like, okay, what, what things are on our calendar? What programs are we running that either aren't producing disciples or competing with those things that we think are better at producing disciples? Um, and so if, if, if what you do is you have, if you're a program driven church and you have so many programs that, that people are able to just kind of like, do I want fries with that and kind of, um, Find, what they're going to do, what they do is they find the easiest thing for them. The thing with the, that, that requires 
um, the least amount of commitment. Not everybody, but in terms of like you're talking about a church that has immature people and mature people. And what we want to do is we want to see the immature people grow and we want to see the mature people help them. Um, but when we have lots of programs and lots of competition, the immature folks are going to go to those things that require less of them. Um, and they're not going to, they're not going to be growing in the ways that we want them to be in community. Um, and so there are things and events that you can have that like we're pretty thin, like, uh, in terms of, um, like we used to do a midweek program and most of our churches don't do that anymore. Um, because we want them, we want them to be in community. So we'll do, we'll do some classes like membership classes, um, and we'll do some trainings. Um, but we don't necessarily provide a whole nother midweek, uh, like service event, um, because we want people in community. And when we do that, we get a bunch of people that aren't in community because they're, they're like, well, this is my commitment during the week. Um, there is a rule of thumb that says, well, I think it's, uh, you can only ask people to give, uh, uh, is it two, two events a week? Anyone remember the old? And we got any, I think it was like, you can, people, you can ask people to do two things a week. Uh, I think that's a load of hogwash. Um, I think what we've done is we said, like, let's expect nothing of people and then wonder why nobody ever, like, commits to the church and what we're doing, right? We've lowered expectations. Um, and then we'll, and then we give them, like, you can do two things and here's a million options. And I wonder why no one's in community. Community's hard. Um, and what we want to do is say, hey, you know, the expectation is that we're actually the church and we love one another and we take care of one another and we're on mission and that takes time and that takes commitment. Other questions? We're in Q&A time. Overtime. Not that we're overtime. But we're in the, yeah. Uh, th- th- what I, what I've tried to do, um, and what's helpful at Mars Hill is that we have very urban context and we have suburban context. Um, we, ha- we actually have some that are rural. Uh, Olympia is pretty rural and Sammamish is pretty rural. Um, and what I've tried to do is, what I'm trying to do is provide a, f- I'm not trying to say here's a system to put in place. I'm trying to build a framework, um, and, and a paradigm. To, if we think this way, then, um, you should be able to take it into your context and think, okay, what are my op- if I'm in a rural context? What are my op- opportunities for participation? You know, what are my opportunities for service? What are my opportunities for hospitality? Um, and what we found is is that uh, what I want to do when we talk about ownership is I want to give I want to give you ownership. So uh, I want you to take ownership of that and say, um, yeah, there are ways that we can apply these concepts and these principles um, to our particular location. What we found is that. From urban to suburban, um, and even into the rural areas, that that we've been able to to apply this, and it's been it's been helpful for us. You can tweak it and do it, you know, whatever's helpful for your people to understand. Yeah, here's here's how we can make this happen. You're talking about men men only and women only groups. Like if you've got a if you had a group and one of the rhythms that you do is you um, you split up once in a while, I think that's perfectly healthy and sometimes really helpful. Um, you know, just to, um, ideally, what I like what I like to see is like uh, I like to see it, it built in a rhythm where it's not always the it's, we're not always split up. Like it's 
uh, when you, especially if you've got married folks in those groups, it's like some, you need to see how the husband and wife interact with each other, not just what they say when they're alone, right? And you, you know, it's helpful to maybe see both sometimes. Um, but as we're trying to trying to help each other grow, like you need to see both. Um, there is a time that I think it's okay to have men only groups and women only groups, but um, ideally, yeah. I mean, I don't know if I have anything like more profound other than sometimes our group does that. Like sometimes it's good for groups to do that. Um, and as a, yeah, sometimes do that. Like just don't, uh, don't make it, hey, that's, that's when real community happens. Um, you've got a problem when the only time that people go deep is when they're split up like that. Um, then there's probably an issue that we need to address. Like, um, why won't Jim open up when his wife's in the room? Or um, what she says when she's with the gals is different than what she says when we're in the community. So, like, what's going on? Like, how do we help them? How do we, you know, let's talk to them and talk about it rather than, like, whisper about it and, you know, hope it goes away. You know what I mean? Um, so you got to balance those things and you, you got to shepherd your people. I don't think I have any other more pro- anything more profound on that. Yeah. 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 So, um, generally, what happens when you start to when you when you say, "Hey, I, I want my community to look like this and, and do these things," like as a leader, you start organizing. Uh, like, here's some opportunity. Again, opportunities, not obligations. These aren't things you have to do. These things are that are, are options to you. Um, you start by saying, "Okay, I'm going to set these up," and what you're trying to do is is create a culture where these things begin to happen naturally, right? So, um, so like when I talked about the pancake house, the pancake house is a, is a, something that started happening naturally in my group, where um, folks from our community group would call up and say, "Hey, it's Saturday morning. Hey, we're going to go down to the pancake house. Do you want to go with us?" Um, and it started happening naturally, and all of a sudden in the group, I didn't have to start or I didn't have to organize everything. Just all of a sudden things happen. So, um, so my wife is going to go. Like uh, I was talking to somebody about Costco. You guys have Costco here? Do you have Sam's Club too? Do Costco. Like who's in a who's Costco? Who's Sam's Club? All right. So like in Seattle, it's like everybody's Costco and like one person Sam's Club because Costco came out of there. Um, we're Sam's Club because it's uh, half a mile down the street. Um, it's great. And so and because everybody because Costco is so Seattle, like no one goes to Sam's Club. So like Costco, you have to park in a different zip code and Sam's Club. You can just park right in front of the door. So it's, it's like I'm going to Sam's Club um, anyway. So when my wife goes to Sam's Club. Like, she'll call, uh, the other, uh, ladies in the group and just say, hey, I'm going to Sam's Club. Is there anything you want? Because Costco and Sam's Club have different things. Um, and if, uh, someone's going to Costco, they'll call us and be like, is there anything you need from Costco? Um, and so we actually just shop together and pick things up for each other, right? Or if, um, like if I'm out of town, someone might call up my wife and say, hey, do you need anything from the grocery store? I know Brad's out of town, so with four kids, you're probably not going to be able to get out. You know, is there anything we can pick up? Do you need milk or anything from the store? And all of a sudden, like, that's, that might not be an event, but that's all of a sudden natural rhythms happening where we're starting to think about it. What we're doing is we're starting to think corporately rather than think individually. And so now when we're going to, you know, um, a band comes into town, instead of getting tickets for myself, I ask, anybody else want to go to this thing? Anybody want to go to a ball game? 
you know, we like start thinking about how do we incorporate people into our lives and it becomes way more intentional. So you begin by saying, I'm probably going to have to like organize this and, and, and give people these opportunities. But the goal is to get to a place where, you know, when someone has something, they start bringing it and just naturally starts happening. Oh. Yes. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So I, I am making an assumption. I'm making an assumption as we talked about kind of the neighborhood that we live close to each other. Um, and, and I know that when I, when we come into uh, a new church and we talk about this is that, you know, so like if we have our Charlotte map, um, and I have my community group here is that I may have, you know, three people from here, but I also may have some people you know, that are traveling in to my community group. That's probably what a lot of you are going to experience. Um, and so what generally happens is that, is that we say, okay, everybody's coming from a different place, so we can't really get that involved in our neighborhood. So, you know, what can we do that's not really that involved in the neighborhood? Um, and we've actually we've done the exact opposite of, of what, what we actually want to do, which is um, we're teaching them that as long as we're spread out, that we don't have these same, you know, we don't, we, we don't have to to live out the same convictions, right? And so what I do um, is that I say, let's just get involved in this neighborhood. Let's serve this neighborhood. Um, let's play in this neighborhood. When we go out, let's pick a place in this neighborhood. And then what these folks do is, is, is hopefully what they're learning is they're learning how to serve a neighborhood, and they're asking the question, why am I why am I investing so much in your neighbors when I have neighbors that I know and love that are, that are also condemned apart from Christ? How could I bring, how could I bring Jesus to them? And what we do is we say, okay, let's, let's have a plan to plant a new community group in this neighborhood. And you guys are going to spearhead that, you know, in the next two months or three months, we want to get another community over there so that you can be doing this in the neighborhood that you live in. Does that make sense? Um, we don't want to, we don't want to diminish what we're trying to do just because people are spread out. We actually want to use that to say, hey man, this is a great opportunity. We can launch, we can launch another group out doing the same thing. And so, because what I am assuming is the closer, the tighter we get this within a particular neighborhood. And so if you're in a rural area, it might be in a particular town, like in our east side, um, we've got, I think I talked about this yesterday, like we've got like seven towns. It's like the closer I can get the people to, in my community group to be in my neighborhood, the more I'm going to run into them in the, in the grocery store, the more I'm going to be able to do those things where we're, we're serving one another and loving one another, the more we can be spontaneous and go to a park and invite our neighbors because I'm just inviting the neighbor here. And this other person lives, you know, from my church lives in this neighborhood. So we already know each other. And so it's a lot easier to start doing those things. Um, when we're affinity based or relationship based, um, then we, we travel long distances and it's a lot harder for us to actually mobilize to the mission of God. So what we want to do is, is instead of, we don't, like, I don't dictate, well, you can't be in that community group because you don't live in that neighborhood. Because I know in my church, I've got immature people and I've got mature people. So, like, I rather them in a group than not in a group. So if they're coming, you know, from 10 miles away to that group, they're welcome to be there. And what I want them to get is I want to keep casting the vision for them of this is what we're trying to do. And I want to stir their heart for the people that they live near so that they want to plant a church or plant a, a community in that area. Yeah. 
Um, really, when, when, when we talk about that piece of ownership and we give ownership to people uh, to to own a particular area of the city, uh, it really doesn't matter how far away they are from the actual physical building. Right? I mean, they are the church. I mean, the church is spread out throughout the city, so it's the church being the church wherever it's at. Um, when when we started the kind of the neighborhood approach uh, at Marsh Hill, we only had one location, um, but we had uh, we had neighborhoods uh, in the or we had we 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 organized and we didn't really get much into organization. But what we do is we say, okay, we've got a neighborhood here, and what we're going to do is we're going to have a head coach over this neighborhood with coaches that are overseeing leaders, um, and. You know, we start with we have one coach and he's got a bunch of leaders in that neighborhood because there's not many groups. And then as it gets bigger, then we add some layers of leadership. And we had um, we had neighborhoods. Our neighborhoods, instead of being like a particular neighborhood in Seattle, they were big, broad regions. So it was like downtown was a neighborhood, and we had um, a Ballard was a neighborhood. We had North Seattle was a neighborhood. We had the East Side was a neighborhood. Um, we had South was a neighborhood. And then um, what happened was we weren't in tending to do this we didn't know that this was coming but what happened is we started planting campuses or churches instead of just having one location and everywhere we had those neighborhoods we already had the foundation for a church so if you actually go now and you look at you know where does marshall have churches marshall everett they used to be the north community groups marshall ballard there was the ballard community groups marshall downtown those were the downtown community groups and it actually helped us to expand and grow because we already had that built but some of those were 20 30 minutes away from the location at the time and they were able to to own a particular place and and build community and reach people how do we equip them for evangelism um so we talked about that like do you take do you do evangelism classes or not um i mean one of the ways that we we equip people for evangelism that i think most people ignore um is we're preaching the gospel every sunday right um, so we're preaching the gospel. Um, if we need to do a class, if we feel like you know folks are having a hard time kind of share uh, um, their faith, then we might we might put together a class or something. Um, the biggest p- issue with evangelism is not necessarily do people know how it's it's how it's it's how um, engrossed they are in Christ, right? So it, it's about increasing their love level for Jesus, and when we do that, um, then then we don't really have to teach a whole lot on how to do that. Um, anybody? Anybody uh, iPhone users? Got iPhones out here? So do you guys remember when this thing came out? And he's like, man, did you tell people about this thing? Like, can you, do you know what this thing does? Like, man, it's like a, it's got GPS, um, and I can find restaurants on this thing, and, like, my schedule's in there. Do you guys remember that? Right? What were we doing? Proclaiming the excellencies of the iPhone. Right? I mean, we we're amazed by this thing. And it, it is, I mean, this is a, like... This is like a mega computer just sitting in your hand. Do all kinds of things. Like, what can I do right now? I can tweet, take pictures. I can read the news. I can buy a book. I can do all that. We would tell people about this thing. We were so excited about it. Why? We wanted them to have it. We wanted them to share in it. This is going to change your life. You don't need to have a Franklin day planner anymore. Do those things exist anymore? <laughs> like, you don't need those things, right? Why? Because, man, we were, we believed in this. And if we can just get to the place where we like, this doesn't change our life. Jesus changes your life, right? When we believe that, when we really believe that, when we truly believe that, and evangelism, it is just, it just comes out. It just oozes out of you. And so, you know, there are times when, you know, it's helpful 
to share with people on how to talk, and you can do a class once in a while to do that. You could um, you could use your community groups. You can put together a curriculum to say, hey, man, do we know how to do this? And, and have your leaders um, lead your people through it. I think that's the most effective way if there's something that you want to there's – two, there's two ways um, – as your church grows, they're going to be more effective in teaching. It's going to be proclaiming from the front, proclaiming from Sunday service, and it's actually having your leaders lead it through your community groups. Um, it's generally more effective than just having classes, um, depending on the size of your church. But like, like if you uh, if you have a a church that's over a couple hundred, and you say I'm going to run a class and teach evangelism, um, and you can get 20 people, 25 people in that class, and you got 200 people in your church, you have to run that class nine, ten times to get everybody to go through it. Uh, if you actually like put together a little curriculum for your community groups and most of your people are in groups, you just run it for three weeks and you, you know everyone kind of um, gets that. Plus, you're giving ownership to your leaders that your leaders actually take responsibility for teaching, right? Um, so those are some of the things you can think about. Yeah. Yeah, size. So, so like, uh, generally, like, what we're trying to do in, and when we're talking about the size of a group is we're trying to maximize the, like, we want intimacy, um, but we also, it needs to be open and welcoming to other people, right? So if you get too big, it becomes really hard for someone new to come in. Like, the bigger the group, like, you can be anonymous, but you really don't feel known. Um, and so we're always trying to wrestle with, like, what is the right size of the group. And generally what we found is, like, just um, through experience is, like, around 12 is a good size, and as you get over 12, you get to start creeping in at 16, it starts getting um, pretty big. And what we have is we have an opportunity, right, um, to, to grow, to plant another another community, to another outpost for the gospel. Um, and one of the things, I, like, especially as leaders, is, like, size, the size of your group is never, is, is, is never the, the motivation to plant a new one. Like when we say, because when we say, well, the group is too big, that, that's, man, that, that's not exciting to people. That feels like, well, we just, we got too big, so now we have to, we have to rip apart. What we want to be able to say is, hey, we've got, a, we've got enough people that we could plant another community. So we have an opportunity to, to grow in the mission of God to, to reach more people. That's why we plant, right? We don't plant because we got too big. Does that make sense? It's a it's a small nuance, but we do that all the time. Like we never use the we never use the word split, um, right? Whenever what's the other one? Divide. We never use divide. Um, yeah, we talk about multiplying. We talk about replicating. Uh, I like planting. That's like kind of you know Acts twenty nine. We're kind of church planters. We like planting. So we want to plant another community. Um, and what we find is I found is like if you have six committed people, um, you have enough people to to plant a new community. Two or four. It's just really awkward <laughs> to try to start something new. Um, you need six people that are committed. If you have six people that are committed, they could start a new community and, and give us a, give us uh, another outpost. It's like um, surface area. Uh, any any guys into science and you know surface area? Like like if you want something to absorb, you want you want to break it up. You don't want just like I'm trying to think of a good example, but um, you don't want just one big block because it, it limits your surface area. You want to break it up so that it so that it has more surface area for people to grab onto. Um, and so if I've got a group of 16 people, and I'm like, I need to find six people that could actually progress the gospel, take it somewhere else. Uh, right there. 
So the women are the women are really involved, and the guys are just coming along for a lot. They, yeah, rebuke them. Rebuke, right? I mean, that's the th- that's the thing is is that um, as frustrating as it is, it's also like as leaders. I mean, that's why you're leaders. You got to call them out. You got to figure out like why are they there? Um, why aren't they leading their family? Why why aren't they taking responsibility for the spiritual life of their of their family? Right? Um, just rebuke them. And sometimes you might have to take them aside. Say, hey, like all the guys, we're getting together um, this week and we're going to go have a talk. And you just got to call them out with love, you know, in love. But that doesn't mean you don't have to be firm, right? To open their eyes. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 one of the things to understand is like we only have capacity for a certain amount of relationships. That's not the worst problem to have, right? Like we have really intimate relationships with with these people. We don't know everyone in the church. Chances are you're never going to know everyone in the church, even if you tried, right? So it's not it's not the worst thing. The the, the bad thing is like if you if you have a clique that people can't get into. Um, I had a great community group leader, and I said, what's your secret? And he said, what I try to do is make the coolest click I can and then invite everybody into it, right? And it was, he was in a band, and so it was, like, really easy. You know, like, everyone wanted to be in that community group because he's a band guy. But, like, for him, it was like, this is it's, it's the first ever inclusive click, right? So it feels, you know, like, hey, this is a cool place to be, but everybody's invited. Um, what, what I found is, like, when you talk about on Sunday, you know, the, one of the ways to do that is, again, we've got to remind people, it's not about us. The, the we, community doesn't exist for us. It exists for those that aren't here yet, right? And so if we go on Sunday, and this is my little model of the church here, so we'll, here's the aisle, and we got pews. Um, and what I say, you know, like, hey, as a community group, this is where we're going to sit. And our responsibility on Sunday is that if anyone sits here that we don't know, is that we're going to go get to know them. Right? So we're going to welcome them, and we're going to, instead of having to have like, well, we got the welcome and greeters or whatever that we have in the church, like, we're going to help them on Sunday. So Sunday is an opportunity for us. Not only are we going to worship together, but we're actually going to help out. But if we see somebody that's sitting alone or somebody that's new to the church, we're going to go welcome them. That's what our focus, um, at the front end of the service is to welcome people. And that might, we might find out that they have been going to this church longer than we have. And like, I get that all the time. Hey, how long have you been going here? I'm like, I've been going here for 12 years, and I'm one of the pastors. You know, and they're like, "Oh, good to meet you." You're like, "How long have you been here? Six years? Six years? We never crossed paths. That's amazing." Um, but, 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 you know, there may be times when that's the case. But, but that's a way to keep them like, rather than being an inward click, like being a like, "Hey, uh, we're going to serve while we're here and care for people." Yes, yeah, super. So, like, when we talk about this um, this neighborhood approach, like, as we grow that, as that builds out, and we all of a sudden we get to a place where, hey, in this neighborhood, we've got three community groups. 
what that allows us to do is now when we do stuff, when we talk about participation events or service events or even hospitality events, we don't have to do that as one community group. And that might help, you know, you know, to the last question is that we can start doing things together, right? Um, so what, what we do, uh, at our various churches is that, um, we have the coaches work together to say, okay, let's build a neighborhood plan. So if, uh, what's a neighborhood in Charlotte? Got a neighbor? What's that? So Highland Creek. So um, we got three community groups in Highland Creek. Let's get together and let's say, um, what are things that we could do all together? Like, is there uh, is there a participation event? Is there uh, a way that we could serve where all of us could come together and serve together? And let's do that like once a quarter, right? Um, we do uh, for for casting vision. Uh, I do a sync every month. So every month I bring all the community group leaders all the coaches and everyone that's involved in community groups, and I just bring them all together so we can cast vision and talk about where we're going and what we're doing. Um, and then once a quarter, instead of me doing that sync lo- or, or, uh, in one location, um, I have each of those neighborhoods. So uh, so like in – I've lost the name of that neighborhood. but um, So in that neighborhood, the coaches would – would have their own gathering and they would invite not just all the leaders, but they invite everyone that participates in community in that neighborhood and just throw a big old fashioned church potluck. Right? So there might be, you know, three community groups could be 60 people. We just throw a party for 60 people and talk about how we're trying to reach, you know, our neighborhood and we invite the, we could invite the neighbors and, and just throw a party together as one big group. Right? And so those are ways that you can, you can, um, engage multiple groups and, and what what I find is is build a plan, right? So I build a plan with my group, like, hey, who are we trying to reach? What are our opportunities in our neighborhood? Um, I send people out. Go get me, uh, go get me the newsletters in this neighborhood. I want someone to go on the blog, like if the neighborhood has a blog, go on the blog, and I want you to keep us informed of what's happening. Um, maybe the center of community for your um, city is, excuse me, is the schools. Um, someplace someone keeps the calendar for your for your community. Sometimes it's school, sometimes it's community centers, sometimes it's at the grocery store. Like someone keeps the calendar, um, and you need to find that calendar and then build a plan. How are we going to interact with our? How are we going to engage with our neighborhood? And then how do we engage with other groups around us? Does that help? Yeah. 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 Um, so he, he asked kind of what were the kind of significant changes or, or pivot points as, as we grew as a church. Um, when I got there, I think I told you guys this yesterday, when I got there, like, we, we did Bible studies. And so we had a bunch of mini marks. Everyone, like, it was like, it was like going to a class. It was the least loving, like, thing I'd ever been. You know, it's like, we go, you know, you know, you didn't know Bonhoeffer said that, you know, I can't believe you're here. And, you know, um, I'm sure I participated in that at, at some level. Um, we learned a lot, but we, we were just, it was just Bible study. There wasn't community happening. We, even though we called them community groups, um, we even had community on the marquee when you came in, but we didn't do it very well. Um, and so we, we realized like we've got to, we've got to make a change. We've got to, we've got to do this differently. And so our first change, um, was, hey, we need, we need our leaders not to see themselves as teachers, but to see themselves as, uh, facilitators, right? And, anyone make that change? Anyone ever have that conversation? Um, so we said, your job is to facilitate a conversation. Your job is not to be the primary teacher. 
Um, and so that was that was our first pivot. So our pivot was, okay, let's start getting people to talk, not necessarily you being the talking head. Um, and that 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 got us still in that place where what we what we primarily were there for was intellectual assent. Um, but at least people were participating. Um, but we still felt like we're not we're not really caring for people um, because as we grew. Um, what happens is, is if, um, I mean, the average church size in America is like maybe 80, somewhere around there. And as you're somewhere between 80 and 200, um, when you go to, you have one service, you go to Sunday service, and you feel a part of the community, right? Like you feel connected to people because we gather every Sunday and we see people that we know. And then even at 100 people, you kind of feel part, like this This feels very community. Um, what happened for us is that during this time, the Bible study worked great. Because community felt, we felt like we were having community. And so when we just got together in our groups for Bible study, that was, you know, we didn't feel like we were missing anything. As we grew beyond this number, um, we started, this starts breaking down. You go to two services, all of a sudden, you know, you don't feel connected to everybody. You go to a service and you don't see the same people. Um, and all of a sudden, like that feeling of community start to, started to wane. So we had teachers. We went to facilitators. And then we said, "Is like, um, if we're going to care for people, we can no longer do it just on Sunday. And we have two options as we grow. One option is that um, we only care for those people that are the loudest. So squeaky wheels will, will get the grease. Um, for those, we'll, most of those we'll send to professionals. So we'll send them to counselors. And we'll just assume that everybody else is doing just fine. Right? Is that a bad assumption? It's a very bad assumption. If you're a pastor and you're in that place, like, that's a dangerous place to be. Because as a pastor, um, I'm going to give an account for how I shepherd the people of my church, right? So for us, we felt that was, that was a strong conviction. We have to shepherd people. Um, and so the only way as we grew to be able to do that was to use, uh, we use our community groups as our primary vehicle for pastoral care, right? So, so what we need to do is we need to, we need to develop shepherds that can care for people. So this is, you know, very Jethro principle-esque of where we say, okay, uh, if I know, if as a pastor, I can care for, you know, six coaches or six shepherds and whatever, and they can care for, each can care for six people, then, then I know, like, if I have a good community group leader, I know the people in there are cared for and shepherded. If I've got a good coach, then I know the leaders that he's overseeing, he's shepherding and pastoring, and then I can pastor those coaches, and I know that everybody in my church is being pastored. Does that make sense? I'll come back to that question. Well, is it relate? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so what I tell, what I tell my leaders and I tell my coaches is handle what you, handle what you can handle. And if you need help, so if I've got, if I've got a leader, so my leader's here, it's like, I'm not asking you to do something that you don't feel comfortable with. Um, if you're, if you're in a place where you're like, I don't know what to do next, then I want you to go to your coach. And I want you, you and your coach to work through it. And if you can't work through it, then you get pastor involved, right? Um, but instead of what generally happens is we say, I've got an issue, it's got to go to a pastor. Um, and what we're doing is we're short-circuiting, one, the opportunity for these people to lead, um, and we're also 
um, we're loading, we're overloading this pastor, right? Um, or he can't do it, so this this list becomes really long, and so these people start falling through the cracks um, because he doesn't he doesn't know the extent of the issue. He's just trying to um, churn through the folks that are that are right in front of him, whereas this leader knows exactly what's going on, right? So when we do pastoral issues, even if it comes up to here, um, I I have the leader come into the meeting with me. Like, I'm going to counsel this person, and I want you to hear what I'm counseling because what's going to happen is I'm not going to walk this out with them because I don't see them every day. I'm going to see them once a month, but you're going to walk it out with them. So I want to make sure you hear the counsel so that you can continue to shepherd them, right? And so for us, what we got to, um, what we got to with this is that we felt like we were doing, uh, we started to get to a place where we actually were caring for people well. Um, and the only thing that we felt that we were missing was the missiologist piece is that we weren't actually being missional. We, so we, 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 we started like, uh, where's my, so we had identity, worship, community, and mission. So we started here with Bible studies and then we grew to incorporate actually being community. And then we, we moved to shepherding doesn't just include caring for people. It actually includes, if we want to make disciples, we actually have to shepherd them towards the mission of God. And so, um, these, these are additive, not subtractive. Um, so we added, um, we want you to, to be a missiologist as well as a shepherd. And that's where we are today, where it's like, you have three, three primary responsibilities. Um, one is to be a shepherd, two is to be a missiologist, and the third is administration. Right? Um, do you guys hear that? So responsibilities for a leader, shepherd. If, if you just want to boil it down to a very simple concept, love your people. Right? If you, if you want to know what it means to be a shepherd, actually love people. If you love people, you go to the Bible, you'll learn what you need to do to love them. Just love people. A missiologist, lead the mission. If you don't lead the mission, no one else is going to lead it for you. Lead the mission in your church. Help help your pastors out. And then admin is just like, you know, keeping track of what's going on so that, you know, you know you're helping um, your pastors lead the church well. The problem is that if I say shepherd, missiologist, and admin, what's the easiest one to do? Admin. So we flip it, and that creates managers. We manage people, um, and then we never do these other two things. And so it's really easy to do kind of the management administration. And so what, what we try to challenge our people to is like, hey, if you if you mess anything up, mess up the administration. That's going to make my job a little bit more difficult, but not as difficult if you don't shepherd people. It gets really hard when you don't shepherd people well. And when you don't lead the mission, then we don't, we don't accomplish what God has called our church to be. And so those are the simple, like my coaches, that's their responsibilities. My leaders, that's their responsibilities. You can see those leader, uh, those um, job descriptions in the book in the back. Yeah. No, no. So our, our, like the way that we do training is like, um, we have, uh, sinks that we do once a month. So sync, our, our sinks would be, we bring everybody together and then we're training and that training might be, um, that might be 
uh, we're going to go through what does it look like um, to to have a gospel centered marriage, and how do you how do you look for um, you know signs that that there's an issue, right? So I'm I'm teaching my leaders, um, husbands and wives, and I'm teaching coaches like, hey, here's here's how to diagnose like if there's if there's an issue that you need to go further in, one, it helps them with their own marriage. Two, it, it helps them to to shepherd people better, right? So I might do something practical like that, or um, or I'm or I'm inviting them into the kind of the insider information of the church. Here, here's what we're doing. I I'm inviting you to help us lead the church in this way. So here's what's going on. So we do a sync, uh, and that sync is once a month. Um, on top of that, um, we have basic training, which is like the things that we, we think every leader or every coach should know. Um, we run them through basic training at the front end when they be, when they come in to leaders. Um, and then we have the one-on-one coaching. So one-on-one coaching is, um, you know, for uh, like in the picture that we drew there for for the pastor, he he's coaching one-on-one. He's developing, he's discipling his coaches. So his responsibility is to is not to manage them. His responsibility is to pastor them and to shepherd them and to teach them to be men that step up and, and lead and, and take responsibility and care for people. And then the coaches do the same thing with their leaders, right? And so uh, we have those different layers of training that, that we do to make sure, one, we theologically we all understand we're on the same page, we know what we're asking people to do, and then we do ongoing training to develop them. Um, like the basic training right now for us, because of the size of our church, our basic training is actually online. Um, so for basic training, it would be um, you know, each church may do supplemental training to that, but they go through and just like, here's the basics. You know, uh, It would be like they watch a video and then they walk through some questions with their coach. So if I'm a coach, I would watch the videos. I would, I would work through um, some questions that would be like reflective questions, go through some scripture. Think through how you would how you would apply this, and then they sit down with me and we talk through it, um, so that that's always on that's always ongoing. Um, but it doesn't require us always to make a whole Saturday to do the training. People can go through it as they need to go through it. Um, our sinks are once a month, and then when it comes to coaching, like I I expect my coaches to to connect with their leaders uh, every week. So we started with once every six weeks. Realized that was a waste of time. Most of them didn't know who their coaches were um, because you'd get to the sixth week and realize, oh, I didn't make an appointment with that leader. So now we've got to coordinate our schedules. And by the time we coordinate our schedules, we haven't seen each other for three months. Um, and so I say, I ask them, like, I want you to connect with them once a month. Um, and so that may be personal. Just check in and see how they're doing. How's their job going? How's their um, walk with Christ going? It might be more tactical, like, hey, we talked about at the sink that we were going to do some things in the neighborhood. Um, you said you were going to find this uh, a new leader. Have you done that yet? Can I help you with that? Um, but just every week, just checking in. Because what we're trying to do is build relationships so that we can be there for each other. Um, it's not management, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, the uh, I'm told I ripped this off from somebody, but I use the the uh, um, the things I'm looking for are character, calling, and competency. Um, and so those are the I mean that, that's how I'm evaluating who we have. The one I'm least concerned about is competency, um, because I can coach competency. I can train somebody on the fly to be competent. Uh, character is something that's very difficult to. You know, that's that takes a long time to change. Somebody either has it or it's going to take a long time for them to get to that place. Um, and so in terms of recruiting, I mean, we'll uh, most of our recruiting comes inward. So it's a leader 
who's shepherding his people, who knows his people, and says, okay, these, you know, here's our future leaders right here. I'm going to tag some of these folks and I'm going to pour into those folks. Coaches doing the same thing with their leaders saying, okay, here's the leaders I have. You know, this person could become a coach. Um, and so they're, they're recruiting from within, you know, the existing structure. It's going to be rare that I'm ever going to have a guy from the outside come in and be like, hey, you're going to be a coach. It's like everybody starts, you know, you're going to start by participating in a group. Um, and if, uh, and, and if you grow to be a leader, awesome. Um, and then if you grow to be a coach, that'd be great. Like, so that can happen quicker for some than others, but, but we, we want to see them. Like, I don't want someone to be a coach who I've never seen actually replicate a group. Right. If you've never planted a new group, you're going to have a hard time coaching other people to do that. So just show me like, Hey, you can do it. And like, and we'll get there. Um, so that's kind of how we do most of our recruiting. Every once in a while, I'll do like a, um, on a Sunday, we'll, we'll kind of sweep the, the congregation be like, has anyone been thinking about becoming a leader? Um, and, uh, and would like to try. And then we do that combo. We talked about yesterday, the kind of the combo training where I'll, I'll do three days. I'll give them three days, three Sundays and kind of give them the basics. And then I send them to the neighborhood coaches that they would be, uh, that they'd be leading under. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's probably that's probably the hardest nut to crack is assimilation, especially with a fast-growing church. Um, we did we did a study one time to see how effective what we were doing was, and, and in terms of a system, it was perfect apart from people. Um, <clears throat> and so, uh, what we did is we like uh, we would have connect cards. Like this one time, we said we had connect cards. We had in I think it was 500 connect cards filled out, like in a two-week span. And people filled them out, and they said, I want to get connected to a community group. And they gave us their phone number, and they gave us an email address. Um, and so within 24 hours, we responded to everybody by email, and we have we used the city and, and a city message. So we, we messaged them twice, city message, email address. They said, hey, we got your connect card. Love to help you get connected. How can we help you? Um, if they didn't respond within 24 hours, we gave them a phone call, and we and we either left a message or called them until we got someone on the phone, 10% of those people responded. It's not that it wasn't that it wasn't that we didn't put forth the effort. It's they didn't. It's something like you took the effort to fill this out. Like I assume that that meant that you wanted to be in. Um, and sometimes people are responding in the emotion, emotion of the moment. Um, and then whatever, the, you know, it's like, it's like seeds that land on hard soil, right? Like they started, the roots started and then they got, Fried out by the sun, um, and so um, assimilation tends to be a really difficult point. And one of the things that I found is, if you rely on your lead, if you if you put your like email list up and say, "Hey, email one of these leaders," it's kind of self service. Like, here's our list online. Email somebody. Um, I love the leaders of our church, but I don't I don't trust them with that. <laughs> you know, because they they get so many that eventually they're just like. You know, they don't call people back or they don't respond to emails or they get spammed enough times that they're just like, you know, someone has this email and they send it to every community group le- leader in your church. And so they start like, hey, I'm not going to respond to that. Um, and so we found the best way to do it is, is that for each neighborhood, we have what we, it's probably, it's, we probably should call it an advocate, but we call it an agent. 
Um, and so someone comes in and they fill out our Connect card or um, they go to a, a Connect desk at the church. Um, we sign them an agent. So we say, okay, um, Susie here is going to help you get connected to a group. Um, and so we give them a face-to-face interaction and say, okay, tell me where you live and I'll tell you about the groups and we'll get you connected with one of the leaders. And that's been the most effective for us is actually take the take the self-service part out of it because um, if we can control the experience, then it's less likely that they're going to have a bad one. So that's one of the that's one of the ways that we kind of tried to get around the. Yeah, I mean, like our membership class, like the 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 requirements of being a member for us is that is that you take the class, that you're in community, and that you're serving and giving to the church. Like that's kind of like here's the expectations of a member, um, and so from the get go, like our membership, when you become a member, you're interviewed by your community group leader. So if you're not in a community group, you're gonna have a really hard time becoming a member because the community group leaders are actually the ones that guard the gate on membership, which one gives them ownership in the church, um, but it's also like if I interview them, if I interview somebody that I've only known for five minutes and I'm only gonna know them for ten before they go back off um, somewhere else, uh, it doesn't really give like. How do I make that decision? Like, are they are they a member of the church? But a community group leader gets to see them week in and week out, and so we we run our membership through our community groups. Generally, what happens is a, as a as a leader moves to a coach, he starts by um, he's leading, he plants a he plants a group, and then he coaches that leader. But eventually, when they get to about four leaders, um, I want them participating in a group, not leading it, because I want them focusing on shepherding those those four or five or six leaders. Plus, he's got the responsibility of when anything that happens in any of those groups. And like, if there's a you know a discipline issue or there's you know um, someone's in the hospital, like I expect him to to kind of coordinate and take responsibility for that. So he's going to have a hard time doing that with a with his own group as well. So I have them uh, generally participating. Yeah, it's a great question. How you know how long before you burn out a leader? <laughs> like, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a lollipop? Uh, is that an old commercial? You guys remember that? It takes three, one, two, three, and he bites it. The owls. Anyway, sorry. Um, it's an interesting question because I think if we actually rebuild the way that we do community and it's life giving, um, I think we get to a place where it it actually is a it's a source of life, not a source of drainage, and, and so we don't have to we don't have to burn out. Um, and if it's done in a way where we're creating that culture of of opportunity, where people are stepping up and taking responsibility for it within the group, then there I don't go to every event that my community group does. Um, I don't go to every time you know you know we go out to eat. Like I don't always have to be there. I don't have to be there you know every time. And so I don't. I don't get burned out as quickly as when I think everything rely everything dependent on me, right? Um, it's, it, there's probably good times to like give folks a break, but generally, like Marshall, we don't we don't take the summers off um, for community because it'd be great if in the summer we didn't sin anymore, and like <laughs> and it's great. In the summer, I just I don't need Jesus for community. Like I'll be great, but we do. And so um, I think most of the time we get our breaks when we take our normal vacations and, and, and stuff like that. And if someone needs a break, like, for whatever reason, like, the community should be caring for and loving them well enough to know, like, hey, you know, what 
generally, I think where you need to be more careful about that is like whoever's hosting the group. So if your leader's hosting the group, like you might think about in the summer, let's meet in the park just to just to take the pressure off your house for a while. Um, great, great idea to do that. Um, and if you feel like you know you guys aren't there yet and your your folks need a break, then um, I think you just got to figure you got to figure out what the rhythm like, like what the what the rhythm of break you need. I mean, honestly, like for the folks, we've got folks that have been leading for seven years, and we've never taken a formal break from it. They just they just keep plodding along and enjoying it. So, changes changing changing the experience actually may may do more than just giving breaks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what. What I, what I do, like if I'm coming into a church and consulting with the church, is I just say, okay, here's the map. Show me a map. Um, how does the how does this city divide, right? Like so, um, Seattle's really easy. There's a big Lake Washington right between Seattle and Bellevue, so everything's like forced into these corridors. Um, sometimes it's a major highway, and like people kind of live on that side of the highway, or they live on this side of the highway. Um, some cities people travel north south really easily sometimes they travel east west really easily and you want to figure out okay how do people how do people actually live in this city um like i said with seattle we started with big regions so you know i'm looking for two to three groups in a region and then we define that as a region um and then as it grows and we get more density um then i might start delineating it um a little bit smaller does that make sense so um what you don't want to do is define. Uh, you don't want to define your neighborhoods um, necessarily like the municipality delineates them. You want to delineate them the way that people actually talk, right? Or people actually identify themselves. Uh, an example would be West Seattle is one of our one of our churches, and there's a there's a place called Delridge. Um, nobody's from Delridge. Nobody in West Seattle's from Delridge. Because they don't want to be associated with Delridge, right? So, like, well, I'm not from Delridge. I'm from the Heights, or I'm from. It's like, well, people actually live in the in in the Delridge neighborhood, but no one would actually claim that, right? And so, there's no reason for us to go in and say, "Hey, here's a Delridge region," because you know people don't want to associate like with that moniker, right? So, I want to figure out like I might have what the city calls three different neighborhoods, but really everybody really associates together. They see themselves as one group of of people, so I want to I want to define it more by how people move and how people talk and define themselves than I do necessarily what the map says. Um, but the map helps us figure out. Like sometimes there's geographic barriers, and we know these folks are going to stick together. How are we doing on time, buddy? I got as many as you want. So you tell me I got to go. Uno más. One more question. As soon as you put a limit on it, so everyone's like, "I don't want to be the last." I don't want this question to be the last question. Is that it? All right. Um, hey, thanks, folks, for coming out. Um, I know that you're giving up. Like even in this, I could sacrifice you giving up a Saturday and a Friday night um, to come hear me chatter. So uh, I appreciate that. I, um, I know that you are the most valuable commodity that your church has. We talk capital campaigns all, all day long, but it's it's you know the leaders that are leading 
the church day in and day out. I mean, that's the biggest commodity that the church has, um, and the biggest asset that, that the church has. And it's the it's the technology that God uses, right? And I think that's what's really important for us to understand is that technology is great, and I come from a church that's really into technology, but the technology that he's always used is his people. He can make the trees cry out. He can make the rocks cry out. But he says, no, I want, I want, I want you to be my witness. If you guys don't do it, I'll go another route. But, but he calls us to do that. And that's really cool to be leaders that God is saying, hey, I want you to mobilize my church so they can proclaim my name, right? So thank you for not only coming out, but for what you guys do um, for your church and for the church. Universal. Can I pray us out? And then you can close up. Sure. Oh, are you, what do you want to say? That's good. Uh, a couple of housekeeping things. First of all, thank you to Redemption. To all of this. And, 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 and,